Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ethnographic Marginalia, a special series on the New Books Network. I'm Sneha Navarapu. And I'm Alex Diamond. And we are the hosts of this special series. Ethnographic Marginalia brings together a set of conversations around ethnographic practice. In each episode, we will converse with an ethnographer about their research design, process, and fieldwork experiences. This special series centers the dilemmas, tribulations, mistakes, and pleasures that go into doing ethnographic research. We hope to use the conversations that transpire on this podcast as an opportunity to build community amongst ethnographers in various disciplines. Towards this end, we also have a website where we publish field notes, ethnographic essays, photo essays, and methodological reflections. Please visit our website, Ethnographic Marginalia, at www.ethnomarginalia.com to know more about how you can publish with us. We really look forward to hearing from you. Before we proceed with this episode, we'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Ethnography Incubator at the University of Chicago and the Lozano Long Institute for Latin American Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. And on that note, let's begin. Excited today to be joined by Alexandros Plasates, our very first novelist ethnographer guest. Alexandros is an immigrant from Greece living in the UK who writes fiction in English, his second language. He's just published the excellent book made by Sea and Wood in Darkness, which is based on fieldwork he did primarily with Egyptian fishermen immigrants in a Greek cafe. Alexandros, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, first of all, a big congratulations on your first novel. Thank you very much, Alex. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Sneha, for having me here. Um, yeah, so um, Made by Sea and Wood in Darkness. Um, so this is um, like a novel in stories. And um, it started, the whole project started about 20 years ago when I was uh, studying social anthropology. And, uh, and I did participant observation on the lives of the Egyptian um, immigrants who work as fishermen on uh, on the trawlers in Greece, and um, and I had no intention of writing fiction. Um, I never wrote fiction. Um, fiction was something that you know I had no uh, interest in. Um, later on, though, um, maybe. Uh, about five years after I finished my undergraduate degree, I, I decided to, to go for fiction. And, um, and it took me quite a long time because I did it in my second language. Um, and when I, when I was starting writing fiction, um, my English was even worse than what it is now, you know. Um, so, yeah, so finally I did it and... Um, uh, and that's it. That it's it's out now by um, Spoot and Duivel. It's an American uh, indie publisher. And uh, yeah, I'm here to talk with you about it. And we so, did. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I just I was just going to say thank you again. Uh, thank you for having me here. You know, and talking about something that, you know, talking about. I haven't talked about ethnography for you know. Because I, you know, I left it when I when I stopped doing um, when I when I when I got my degree. Then I just um, I didn't deal with social anthropology, ethnography, and it's it's nice to go back after a very very long time. You know. Well, it's it's clear, um, you know, because you just published this wonderful book. It's that's that's very heavily based on ethnographic work. Um, it's it's clear that you've still been you know thinking about the the work that you did, um, so maybe we can we can start there. And particularly, you have a 
a very um, a, a field site that most of the book takes place in uh, Cafe Papaya, um, which I think is based on your family's cafe. Um, and you did really extensive ethnographic field work as a waiter in the cafe. Um, and I think if, if I understood correctly, you were, this was intentional. You were studying anthropology at the time and you were, you know, thinking of this as ethnographic field work, um, toward your, toward your studies. Um, so starting in that moment, which I think you said maybe was like almost 20 years ago, uh, what did you set out to research? Um, and how did the cafe come, come to you as a field site? Yeah, um, I, um, I, I started what I was researching, you know, um, officially, you know, as a, as a, as a, um, like doing my participant observation and doing my, my dissertation on this, um, on these people. So I was looking for, you know, the um, Egyptian, um, fishermen, they were, you know, Muslims. So, I was looking at um, how they can practice the religion um, uh, in in uh, in Greece. Um, there is no mosque in in Kavala. Um, I was looking at their employment conditions um, because um, some of them were working, um, you know, without papers. Um, I was looking at issues of marginality and how. Um, why why they why the locals um you know they don't befriend them and why they stay outside of of um, the mainstream uh, society um i was looking to see how um they maintain relationship with their families back in egypt so we are talking this egyptian community we are talking about men only you know they were there were people um, who came from a specific um, area in in Egypt. Ninety percent of them came from a fishing village. That's how they call it. Uh, it's called Esbitalburg, um, and it's near uh, Domiata. Um, and they came to work particularly in the trawlers. Um, and this is a tradition that goes back to the late seventies, when when uh, Greeks. Um, sort of didn't feel, didn't want to work as fishermen anymore. Um, and the fishing industry was struggling to, to find people. Then Greece and Egypt um, signed a bilateral treatment and um, a bilateral uh, agreement. And, um, and then these people started to come over. So what, so, but this is one, this is on paper what I was looking for. You know, this is, you know, I just, I had some questions in mind to ask them, but if you ask me now what I was really looking for, I was looking for for me to find understanding, uh, uh, for me to be able to, underst to be understood by other people because I, f I, I felt as an outsider in my town. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I felt that I couldn't fit um, I didn't like the things um, that were happening in my town, and I wanted to to find um, peace inside me. I wanted to know that there are people who understand me and that I understand people. And I think, although I had always the questions in mind, what I was really looking for was heart. You know, I, I wanted to feel um, understood by by people. Um, so the reason I went for my family's cafe is because I, I started working there since I was very, very little, about, um, 11 years old. I used to work in the summers as, you know, I used to, um, my, my first job was to change the ashtrays, you know, just change the ashtrays and then, you know, and then... To wash the glasses and and then I started working as a waiter and the cafe is just opposite the um, the fishing harbor so and it's an old cafe and it's where the the Egyptians and the Greek captains always came you know that was where they were you know th this is where they spend their time um, 
and um, it was just it was open 24 hours you know i could work any shift i wanted i had to work you know so it it was just uh, for me the obvious place to do my my field work yeah thank you that was um that was very beautiful um especially what you said about um finding understanding and looking for um and almost thinking about the heart and um and its place in ethnographic work um and i, f- I felt like I could um, relate to a lot of what you were saying. And um, yeah, thanks for that. So getting into um, the the novel more directly. Um, so the book does a wonderful job of taking us inside the world of this cafe. But um, for those who haven't read it, could you describe a typical night at the cafe? And um, how did you juggle the twin demands of waiting and fieldwork? Yeah, the cafe... Um... I worked every shift. I worked the morning shifts, the evening shifts, and the night shifts. Uh, The cafe was a very weird cafe because it had um, the the menu was like uh, twenty, you know, like twenty, thirty pages. You know, we served everything. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. The customers, you could get any sort of cash. You could get, um, you know, the pensioners that wake up like six o'clock in the morning and they come to drink their coffee. And when they come, you have the, the girls, you know, from, from the strip clubs that, that uh, finish their shifts and they come to have something to eat. Um, it was the nights were, were, were particularly hard because, and they were also sweet because at nights you had, they were sweet because you had the loners. Um, the people who came because they needed company and they would come and maybe have one beer and stay, you know, for two hours just because they needed to be around people. But also you had um, people who came after the clubs and the, uh, and the bars closed and they were just drunk, you know, and they were very demanding and um, they would cause problems and you would have people who work um, you know, th- those who sell protection in, in, um, in clubs, you know, uh, sort of mafia people, you know, and they, they, um, they just wanted you to be, to, to treat them as kings. Um, so usually it was quiet between midnight and two o'clock in the morning. Um, and then after three o'clock, um, we would start to get um, more people. And the way we worked, it, it was one person in the kitchen uh, doing the cooking, and then it was just me outside uh, serving and preparing coffees and, and you know, cleaning up. Um, and then, um, so, so you would get the people from, from the clubs, you would have the, the fishermen coming back from the from the fishing journeys at about four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. Um, and then at a, around se- seven o'clock, you could get the pensioners. Um, it was, there was, comparing to the, you know, uh, restaurants and cafes in England that I know, there was more freedom there. You know, you could sit down with the customer, you could have a drink, there was no problem. You could smoke inside, you could sit down with the customers and have a smoke. Um, so you could have, you could talk with people. Um, uh, it was uh, bittersweet. Um, the sweetness came from those who needed company and the bitterness came from those who demanded um, um, attention and they wanted to show that they are better than you. That's, that's expressed really well in the book. Um, and you mentioned some of this earlier when you were talking about sort of your own personal motivations for for this project, but but there is sort of a divide expressed through um, the main narrator, not the only narrator, but uh, a waiter called Pavlo, mm-hmm. who is is you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sort of he's he's very explicit that he he prefers um, the the marginalized people here, um, be they Egyptian fishermen, um, prostitutes, uh, beggars, um, the people who you just said who, who sort of come and want to talk, uh, rather than the local people 
who, who I guess are the demanding customers, um, who are, who are often rude as we see. Um, so it's, it's clear that these are the stories that interest you and the people that you and, and Pavlo or you, Pavlo through you or you through Pavlo, um, identify with much more than the Greeks themselves. Um, why, why do you think that is? I, I couldn't, um, it was when we talk about the locals, um, the people that Pavlo doesn't like, we are talking about people that only by the, by the way of looking at you, they are telling you that they are better than you. They have a need to show that um, they are superior. Um, it's the way they give their orders, you know, uh, when they when they want food. It's um, th- there is there was arrogance in these people which I didn't like. Um, they need these people needed to f- to to feel important, uh, but the way they did it was by by pushing you to to make them feel important to to see in your eyes their importance, and um, and I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't um, I couldn't I couldn't understand why they 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 were treating me this way. And not only me, you know, other people as well. Um, and um, on the other hand, you know, you had you had the Egyptians who were coming in the cafe. You had the beggars. You had the prostitutes. When they were coming in, I was feeling secure. You know, I was feeling, um, you know, these people love me, you know, and I love them. Um, they were they were people who. Um, Lacked, they, they lack love, you know, the people who were uh, treated unfairly all the time. Um, and when, you know, I saw them as equals, um, you know, we, we, it clicked. I, regarding the locals, I tried to like them, you know, and um, I was thinking for a long time that there is something wrong with me because I cannot identify with them, I cannot have fun with them, you know. For many years, I was thinking that I'm in the wrong, you know, there is something wrong with me. So what I remember for one period, I used to drink um, and work a little bit drunk, sometimes quite a bit drunk, so that I, I could test myself, see, you know, what's wrong, you know. So I started entering their world, the world of the locals. And... Um, when I entered, um, you know, I was listening to what they were talking about and it was just boring, you know. I just found everything boring and, and I thought, is this what, is this how you, you are having fun, you know. Um, and on the other hand, the Egyptians, um, the Egyptians, they protected me. You know, in, in the cafe at night, there were fights. There were people who were carrying guns. Um, there were people who wanted to fight um, and whenever there were Egyptians there I felt secure because they told me Alex, whatever happens you know, we are here and we will fight for you and we will fight until, you know until, until we die, you know and um, they never had to fight for me but um, only knowing that there is someone there who understands me, you know, I felt, um, I felt nice. Um, so that's why I identify more with these people. Um, you know, the prostitutes, yeah? Okay. So I would have a table of, say, eight people, okay? And um, say four men, four, four women who were sex workers, okay? Whenever I want to take the order, the men... They were treated me. They were treating me like a piece of dirt. And the women, the sex workers, would see. I could tell that they would see how I felt, and they could see that there there was uh, there was a tension between me and the other guys. You know, the men. And they, in their sweet way, protected me by making jokes. You know, 
by by calming them the guys down because you know as a waiter you can take it you know one two three twenty thirty times but there is there might be one time that you will snap you know because you you had enough but these these women they they always made me feel good and they they calm the situation down uh, and then the beggars you know the beggars would come and I would feel uh, in peace because there was here is someone who I can talk with you know here here I'll, I'll give you a you know a plate of food you know and and he would appreciate it you know and then you know we would make jokes and he would tell me about his life you know so yeah this is why um i identify more with with the marginalized people mm-hmm. yeah um thank you that was uh, a very insightful um response to the question and um it, it made a lot of sense the way you laid it out um so shifting gears a little bit um i wanted to ask you about uh, your choices about writing this material the way you did so um you studied anthropology as an undergraduate before doing a phd in um, creative writing which clearly is still based on ethnographic methods and sensibilities so why did you switch to creative write- writing rather than you know rendering all of this material in a much more traditional ethnographic um, manner what was what was your motivation behind this choice there were two things one thing is that i knew that i'm not a good anthropologist when it goes to theory i didn't get theory mm. you know i loved participant observation but theory and mm. um, maybe because at that time my english was not very good you know i just couldn't get it you know i had all this material and mm-hmm. i just didn't know what to do with it i had I had written 1,000 pages um, of, uh, you know, my diaries about the, the Egyptian fishermen were, were 1,100 and, um, pages. And I just didn't know what to do. And th- the other thing is that when I read um, anthropology, when I read ethnography, I found it, um, I found the writing very dry. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I had, I was I'm eating, uh, you know, boiled uh, chicken fillet, you know, uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, you, you can uh, hardly swallow, you know, it's good, it's, uh, it, it has right. protein, you know, but, um, the, you know, you need a bit of sauce, you need a bit of salt, you know, you cannot have it every day. And, um, and, um, Maybe because I'm not white, you know, maybe I haven't, maybe there is ethnography out there that is nice and juicy, you know. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, at that time I hadn't come across. Um, so when I finished, I wanted um, to do a master's. But mm-hmm. I knew that I'm not good in, in anthropology. Um, and then I was talking with a friend who happened to read my diaries. And um, he told me, Alex, this, you know, I've read your tires, you know, this, this, uh, these are like short stories, you know. Why don't you go mm-hmm. to do a master's in creative writing? And um, I said, no, no. He said, why not? Because, um, you know, I thought the writers, you know, I thought of people who put the scarf outside, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, they wear uh, coats and they put the scarf outside the, the coat and, you know, they have the hair, um, you know, weird haircuts. And I didn't want to be like that. And, uh, but, you know, my friend insisted, I thought about it. And, um, and you know, to be honest, I didn't have many choices. I, you know, my, my, my first degree in social anthropology, I, you know, I didn't do very well. Um, and I thought that no one, no university will accept me in anything, you know. And then I, I said, okay, I'll apply for um, creative writing. And one university accepted me. And, um, and then I did my master's and I did a lot better than, um, mm. than I did in creative writing. Um, and also, you know, between ethnography and, um, you know, ethnography is more like, 
you have to be in academia to be an ethnographer. To be a writer, you don't necessarily have to be in academia. Academia scared me a a bit, you know, and the the way people talk in academia scared me because, you know, they are very knowledgeable and I was not, you know. They act in a a way that um, I, I didn't feel comfortable. While, you know, being a writer is like being, you know, in the pub all the time, in in, in a sense, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, um, that's why I went for writing. And, um, yeah, yeah, and and I, uh, you know, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. You know, a lot of what you said is so relatable to me that now I'm thinking Mm. that maybe I should switch to (laughs) writing ethnographic fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Sneha. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Just have to to embrace yeah. this. This, yeah. this is a dangerous message, but the, <laughs> yeah, I, I love the <laughs> the the metaphor of the dry chicken fillet. But <laughs> absolutely, it's like um, it's unforgettable. I'm always going to think of ethnography uh, whenever I see a chicken fillet. <laughs> but yeah, no, honestly, that's that's part of the reason we were we were really excited to have you on is. Um, and I, we said this to you before starting the interview, but uh, but to, to borrow your words, both both Sneha and I are very interested in in sort of figuring out how to make ethnography juicier in those ways, um, and and borrowing elements from from novels like yours. Um, so you've you've done a little a little role reversal. Um, Right, because as, a, as an ethnographer, you were a local who did not necessarily uh, identify very much with the locals in in um, in your Greek town. Um, but as ethnographer, you were a local studying immigrants. Uh, now you are yourself an immigrant living in England. Um, so, how do you think, or or did they? How how did your experiences? as an immigrant that, that came sort of after the ethnography, or I guess even during the ethnography you were studying in England. Um, mm-hmm. But how did your own experiences as, as immigrant inform your writing um, or affect sort of your, your interest in the topic? Um, by being an immigrant and by um, learning a new language, English, and by writing in a new language, the most um, obvious um, way that this affected me is that I can I know exactly how the Egyptian immigrants were feeling when they were talking to me in Greek because Greek was their second language, you know they were their first language was um, Arabic. Um, so when when um, then I wrote stories about the Egyptians. That that's when I sto- when I wrote stories about the Egyptians talking to me in Greek, and then I'm writing them in English. So I I knew when I knew how the Egyptian would express himself in English because. I've been through different stages of, you know, when I came here, I spoke very little English, then I spoke a little bit more, and now I'm in, I'm speaking so-so. So I, you know, I knew uh, how these people, what they wanted to say and how they felt when they were saying when they were saying it. And, you know, the metaphors that they might use, you know, that they are not, they, you know, they, they were not metaphors that we would use in Greek. And they are not metaphors now that I'm writing in English that English people or American people might use. Uh, also, being an immigrant, you know, now being an immigrant is... I am an immigrant partly because of my Egyptian friends, because of how I was feeling in Greece and how I saw them feeling in Greece. Um, I moved a country and I, I wrote in a different language as a statement, you know, that, okay, you know, Greeks, you piss me off, you know, fair enough, 
you know, I'll, I'll write it in English, you know. Um, uh, so, and now when I'm here with other immigrants or with refugees, um, it's, I, it's just, you know, when, when we talk with each other, you know, from any country, I just pick up things and they pick up things from me. Um, and it's easier, it's a lot easier to communicate and it's a lot easier for me to enter the world of other immigrants and of refugees and um, to have fun with them and uh, being in a way more equal because if we say that in Greece I was a you know I was a local and the Egyptians were you know a bit weaker because they didn't know the culture they didn't know the language you know now here you know we are um, we are equals my life in in um, in the UK, it revolves around um, refugees and around um, immigrants. And um, um, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but uh, there you go. <laughs> no, very, very much so. Um, and that, that sensibility definitely shines through in, in the writing. Um, so we wanted to ask you as well, you, you were kind enough to share just a, a really interesting article that you wrote called The Good Waiter's Guide in Search of Morsels of Magic, uh, Turning Ethnography into Fiction. Um, and in, that, in this article, you draw on a metaphor from the novelist John Fonte, um, who talks about writing as swimming in the ocean and trying to find a current that lets you know you're on the right track. Um, so to quote from the article, you write, by building rapport through ethnography, what actually happens later when sitting down to write fictionally about the real people who have been studied and take creatively their point of view is this sense of being in the sea and having the right current moving in the right direction. Um, so I absolutely love this metaphor. And it, it seemed like a, a really powerful description of how um, ethnography can be valuable to fiction writers even beyond sort of the, you know, learning or, or experiencing specific stories. Um, could you say more about what you mean by the sense of writing as finding a current? Um, and, and maybe with, you know, examples from your, from your own writing, um, how, was, how was your ethnographic research important to help you identify the right direction? The ethnographic research, you know, with this, with Egyptian um, fishermen, I spent thousands of hours together. Um, I saw them in um, different circumstances. I saw them sober drinking coffee. I saw them, you know, being out together in bars. I saw them drunk. I saw them stoned. I saw them sad. I saw them very angry, you know. And equally, they saw me in... Um, in different um, situations, um, and when they saw me, I saw how how I saw my reflection in them. Uh, so the ethnography it gives you this this spherical picture. You know, you know each corner of someone's character um, because you spend so much time with the people. So this. I'll give you an example. There, there is um, one of the stories in the book, which is called "The Story with Yulia Has a Bad, bad Ending." Uh, so, when the Egyptian uh, man was telling me this story, he had reasons not to tell me parts of the story. Um, even though I would pressure him a bit because out of curiosity I, I want to know what happened you know you know how he did this how he did that uh, but he wouldn't uh, so later on when I wanted to write this story you know I had to be him I had to find out what happened but not as me and not as him because in the story it's not you know when when you write fictionally you don't take a real person and you put him or her in a real situation, you take a real person and you put them in an unreal situation, a fictionalized situation. So you have to know how this person will act under cer certain circumstances, you know? And, and then it's some sort of a, 
um, some sort of a dance between between you when you write and the, the, the real person that you have researched and you've spent time with. So when so in this story there were lots of blanks, there were lots of gaps that I had as a as a writer to to cover and and to create um, to, in, in order to create the story. So I would try one thing, you know, and I could feel, I could feel it that it doesn't, you know, no, this, no, no, we are not here, Alex, no, 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 what are you doing now? It doesn't feel good, you know, um, try, move, you know, go, go swim, you know, swim around, see how it feels, you know, and then as you swim, you, you feel this, this thing, this thing comes to you, you know, and, and it pushes you in one direction. And then it's like, it's like a dance. You know, it's like a two people, two people are dancing, and then you feel that your movements are are good, you know, and uh, and it, they match the movement of of the fictionalized uh, character. Uh, so this is this is an example, and the, the the other thing with ethnography and the way I approached the participant observation, I went there to learn about their lives. So I was a student. They were my mentors, you know. Um, they were the ones who were telling me what is right and what is wrong, how we do this, how we do that, you know. Um, and I was learning. So um, by um, by having them as mentors of of their life, you you learn how to do things in in their way and this again helps with um, with the writing afterwards and it is they who are the artists you know not me it is it, i am the observer of their art you know i'm there to to watch the details how they do things how they drink coffee how they hold the the glass you know when they drink wine how they walk you know um it is they who show me the way and I follow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, it was also reminding me of the kinds of things that I would try to remember to do in the field as an ethnographer, but that kind of eye for uh, for detail um, is, is I think, really key to, to writing the way that you have, like so vividly. Um, but what you said about them being... Uh, the artists is, uh, is a very interesting perspective and I hadn't quite um, thought about it that way. So thanks for that. Um, but, you know, as you were saying all this, uh, I was also wondering if you could recommend two or three novels to us that you see as really well-done examples of ethnographic fiction. I mean, other than your own, of course, uh, but any other books that come to mind that we might want to pick up and, and learn a thing or two from? Um, there is, you know, you have Ernest Hemingway, you know, and most of his work is, um, to me, is like ethnographic fiction. You have The Old Man mm-hmm. in the Sea, you know. Hemingway was right. was a fisherman. He were, you know, he was a fisherman for, for years. You have For Whom the Bell Tolls, you know, um, when he went um, out there. And, and, you know, and in, in that book, you know, he uses Spanish and, you know, he... He shows the life inside the cave and, you know, how the fights were happening. Um, and I think most of Hemingway's uh, works are, to me, look like ethnographic fiction. And then on the other side, you know, you have Charles Bukowski. And mm-hmm. Bukowski is ethnography, you know, and he's, um, what he did, he, he, he researched Maybe he didn't see it as researching, but he researched the American low life, you know, uh, and um, he wrote books about them. And if you follow his books, you'll see, you know, he starts from, um, you know, with a post office and his experiences there. And he takes you all the way to Hollywood and he writes a novel about Hollywood. And it's all about um, the people that he's met. And... One thing, you know, um, there is, um, for me, the purest, not ethnographic fiction, but ethnographic poetry, 
that I've seen is by a Greek poet who is called Nikos Kavadias. That's K-A-V-V-A-D-I-A-S. And I think he, he's, he's dead now. He's, um, I think his, book, his books have been translated into English. I haven't read them in English. I don't know if the translation is good. But Kavadias was um, a sailor and he wrote poetry um, about the people that he've met uh, in the ships. And the, it's, um, his poems are pure ethnography. You know, he shows you how how the how the, the sailors pray. Um, he talks about the brothels and where the sail, the sailors go. You know, um, so this for me that was um, an inspiration, um, and this is also it's because of Cavadias that I feel partly drawn to um, to the margins and. Um, there is. I, I also want to say about a song, uh, which is by an uh, an English band. They are called Jethro Tull, and um, <laughs> do you know them? A little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah. So they have a song Aqualung, you know, which is about mm-hmm, yeah. the life of a beggar. And when I was in Greece, you know, I was listening to the song. I knew something was. I didn't. I couldn't understand the lyrics. You know, I knew that something mm-hmm. something was happening. And then, you know, when I came to England, you know, I kept listening and listening and listening and tried to understand the lyrics. And Aqualung um, influenced me in the story that I wrote about um, my beggar, you know, the, um, the beggar who travels, uh, that is, uh, that's in the book. Uh, so, yeah, for me, these, these were some examples of uh, ethnographic fiction. Yeah, those are wonderful recommendations. Thank you. Um, and kind of an eclectic mix. Um, so yeah, we wanted to to end by asking you about uh, a couple projects, um, not necessarily your your own writing, but, but work you do with um, immigrant and refugee writing. Um, a couple of really cool projects, actually. Um, so the, the first is you've You've done some uh, some sort of ongoing writing workshops with with refugees there in in England, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and then I'm not sure if it's connected or not, but you have a, a new project, uh, or you're involved in a project called "The Other Side of Hope: Journeys in Refugee and Immigrant Literature." Um, so I was wondering if you could explain to us uh, sort of what these initiatives are and uh, why you think they're important and, and what your experience has been like in doing them. Yeah, so the creative writing workshops with refugees, I, I used to do them um, when I was back in, in Leicester. Um, I used to do them in uh, City of Sanctuary. And I used to spend um, about two hours with, with the refugees um, who came to the drop-in center, and um, we would do creative writing workshops. This is how we call them, okay? But because they are creative writing workshops, so it's creative writing, okay? And basically, it's fun. People should come to have fun because it's creative writing, you know? Um, So we used to do... um, I did it for about two years, and... um, we, we used to write little stories, little poems. We used to do um, group um, exercises. Um, but, we, you know, we used to, you know, we, we, we would start doing a creative writing workshop and then some, someone would come with a, with a massive um, tray of uh, dolma, you know, the, you know, the, the rolled uh, vine leaves with, uh, uh, with, with mince and rice and, and say, come on, eat now, have a break, let's eat. So, okay, you know, we would eat. Um, other one, other people would bring cakes. Um, and for them, because I think, you know, when you are like me, you know, because English is not my first language, for them it's easy to understand me. And for me, it's easier to explain things to them. Uh, so they feel more comfortable um, being with someone that they can uh, they can identify a bit. 
so we did these workshops. We, we went out to poetry readings, you know, they read their poems. Um, a book, a little book was published. Um, and later on, I, I worked for um, a charity with, um, who care for young unaccompanied asylum seekers. And I was, I was living with, a, with these young people. Um, it was, so my home was their home. I would get them straight off the lorries, you know, and um, we called that house the new arrival house. And um, uh, so I got to know the refugees a lot better. I, I lived there uh, for two years. And sometimes we used to do writing exercises and we used to do, you know, this uh, safe place. I don't know if, if you know about this, the safe place exercise. It's you know this because these people are traumatized, and at nights they have mm-hmm. um, uh, they have nightmares. They can't sleep. They need to think of something safe to be able to calm down. So we right. would do creative writing exercises about their safe places, and they would write things. You know, um, so um, and then this continued, and the, you know the the friendship. There was friendship with with all the refugees that I've met. Um, you know, we still talk even now that I moved from Leicester and, you know, we still have fun. And um, so in a way, the, do you want me to, to talk about the other side of hope as well? Yeah, it seemed like a, a very interesting initiative. Is it connected to this? It is, in a way it is connected because what I saw, you know, I saw it is connected in a way that because I did these creative writing workshops, I I felt very confident working with with refugees um, and creative writing. Uh, so then uh, I also saw the effect that the creative writing has on, on refugees. And I'm not talking about, you know, professional writers. I'm talking about mm-hmm. people who may have never written any poetry or any story before, or they might not know what what a poem is you know but i saw the effect this has on them and i saw how proud they feel when they write something and you know then they share it you know with with their family and and they might send it back to the places where they came from and um, and the other side of hope it is it's we started now and um all, all the staff are immigrants and refugees, all the editors. Um, and we accept uh, poetry and fiction by uh, refugees and immigrants only because we, we want to give them a push, you know, we want to give them a platform. And because I know that it's not easy to write in your second language, um, I want this to be for them like a safe place where they can send stuff and the stuff are received by people who who understand them, you know, and that will make them feel comfortable whether we accept it or not. Um, and um, and then we have the other sections. We have non-fiction. We are very welcome to send us something, um, Sneha and Alex. We have creative uh, ethnography. Um uh, and we have the book reviews and the author interviews. And this is open to everyone as long as it's migration related. So I, I wanted this to be like a home for refugees and immigrants where they feel comfortable. Um, and yes, one led to, to, to the other. Basically, the Egyptians then my work with the Egyptians led to the creative writing workshops and then the creative mm-hmm. writing workshops led to the other side of hope. Yeah. Thanks. That sounds um, really interesting. And I'll be sure to pass, um, you know, your email along to a lot of people that I know who might potentially be interested in contributing. I think it's such a, such a wonderful initiative by, um, by you and your colleagues and, um, a, a welcome addition to the literary ra- landscape in the world. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for doing that. And uh, yeah, a big thank you for taking time out to join us today and uh, talk about 
um, your your book and your novel. I'm so excited that it's out in the world and um, we are sure that people who read it will benefit a lot from it just like we did. And uh, this conversation was um, such a fitting addendum to have read the book. And um, yeah, we're very excited to see all that you write and uh, you mediate in the world. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you very much, Neha. And thank you very much, Alex. And thank you for inviting me and um, giving me this opportunity to talk um, about something that happened, um, you know, the ethnography a long time ago and for being inclusive. Because obviously, you know, I'm not an academic. I don't feel comfortable talking about, um, you know, um, ethnography. But you made me feel, you know, comfortable. And uh, even your emails before, when we were talking about this, and you told me it's going to be fun, you know, don't worry, you know. <laughs> these, these things made me feel good. Thank you. Um, we are so glad. I mean, we are very honored that you could join us, honestly. I mean, I think we've had our fair share of academics okay. on the podcast and it's such a refreshing conversation okay. to have um, with someone who, you know, who is like seeing it from another perspective mm. and yeah, uh, at the very least. And um, no, but thanks again for such insightful, um, insightful takes and a lot of the questions and for engaging so, so generously with them. We really appreciate. Yeah, and this this was a lot of fun, uh, Alexandros, and I think both Sneha and I, and probably many of our listeners, are to at least some extent repressed novelists. Um, <laughs> and and I think I think this whole uh, this podcast and and you know our website. Um, ethnographic marginalia, um, to some extent, e express that or, or sort of come out of those feelings. So it was great to talk with uh, a real novelist uh, and ethnographer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and certainly gave both of us um, things to think about in terms of in terms of how to make our own writing more juicy. <laughs> and I hope I hope did so for our listeners as well. So thank you very much.